Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. Uh, this first episode ever, by the way. This is the first one? This is the first one that we're going to air. Uh, Rachel Jankovic is the guest, and we're not calling. Um, we're just sort of across. Being local. We're being very local uh, across the table. So, Rachel Jankovic, thanks for coming. Jankovic. Okay. Or Jankovic. Jankovic. Whatever scans better in the sentence you're using. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, but there's a right answer, though. Actually, I don't know, because when I, I obviously married into the family name. Right. And even the family I married into says it differently in different times. Interesting. So Jankovic or Jankovic is really yeah. the two that. I found locally everybody just says Jank. Yeah, everybody just cuts it off at the. Yeah, we'll yeah. just but cut I, the. But typically uh... I say Jankovic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But so... I answer to anything. <laughs> Well, appreciate that. Uh, so, author of Loving the Little Years, Fit to Burst, the recent Yoohoo. Yep. And then I want to get to the Bible Reading Challenge, which started two yes two days ago. Yeah, we're on day three. Well, um, no, I mean day three of the summer challenge. Right. Okay, yep. Oh, right, right, we're right, on right, like day right. something lots more than that. A million. Not a million. This'll, uh, Not yet. This will come out on next Monday. So okay, day well, whatever. Nine. But no, I meant the whole challenge started a long time ago. Right, that was my. Point. Will there be? Yes. And we're going to do a subsequent. There'll be a subsequent challenge. It'll be. It's yeah. The plan is to keep it going. Okay. Always. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, so I came to Canon Press in 2016 uh, when I did. I did uh, came here for a grad program at New St. Andrews. So at that point, loving the little years had already it was already out. Mm-hmm. It had already seen its Mormon success. <laughs> it, right. And, Making uh, it big in that world. Yeah. And in fact, I had found two copies like in a random Minneapolis, like uh, Half Price Books. Hmm. You know, so I was picking them up all over hmm. the place. Um, and Fitzburst was out. And then when I got here, there were rumors and rumors of wars of, uh, <laughs> of, a, of a book on identity eventually coming out. Right. That's because that's been kind of in the works for a in the works not being worked on right just being well we did a webinar on it i think that might have been one of the first webinars that i worked on okay yeah so that makes sense so anyway really the first project that i got to work with you on has been you who um and so i've just heard apocryphal history (laughs) concerning the other two books but uh i do think i would love to talk to you about um especially because i i know how you who went along um but Loving the Little Years seems like a really unique narrative concerning books. This was not a book that yes. you had written. No. And then shopped around and were no. trying to get an agent. No. Was Can you? Not. <laughs> I had basically no intention of writing a mothering book. And I continued to not have an intention of doing it pretty much until the book was done. I think I kept on thinking, no, I don't need to do that. Um, what happened is I my mom or my dad started a blog for my mom and they just added us like they it was one of the, it's a classic it was a classic dad getting things done move he's like there should probably be this i'll just make a blog nancy will be in charge and then he, uh, they added whatever we were just already authors on the blog which was fine it was no that was not a problem at all we just it was not a plan it was something we just started blogging that was called femina girls um and because at the time I had five little kids, so what was happening uh, was my life with little kids. So that what, was what, what year I was talked this about. For man, well, the twins. I think when I actually wrote "Loving the Little Years," Blair was a baby, and she just turned nine. So it's been okay. eight years. I remember okay. that because she was sitting in the bumpo seat beside the computer like that was how I was entertaining Blair while I was trying to write Loving the Little Years Um, she would sit facing me beside the computer screen okay Um, well I don't know what I was feeding her fruit puffs or something you know keeping her busy while I was doing that so um, but she's nine now so anyways that was my life at that time and growing up in a Christian family um, and dad being a pastor we have we kind of joke we're like a breed of bird dogs or something it's just in the blood to think in terms of I suppose I would say metaphors, but also just trying to practical Christian living, applied Christian living. Like, what are we trying to do? And mothering a bunch of little kids was a spiritual, I want to say journey, but it didn't feel like a journey. You know, it was more like one of those wild slide rides or something. It was <laughs> it was a really exciting and breathtaking kind of a time. I think I had always assumed I always wanted to be a mom. It had not occurred to me how hard it would be spiritually 
to do it. So, and it wasn't at first, you know, we had one baby and it was fine. And then you have two and it was like a little more challenging. And then when the twins came, we had four, three and under. And that was like, it was like me and all the babies, like so many little people. Um, And I'm so thankful for that time because it was just a constant, like, here's your statement of faith. You believe children are a blessing. You believe this is a good thing. You believe you're called to this, but you don't feel the way you believe. You know, you have like your, all your impulses are, are going, they're going astray in all of this. And so that was why, what ended up happening when we, when I was blogging, that was what was coming out, right? Like, so um, in my experience up until that time, the only mothering, I wasn't even really into the genre, but the only mothering books or things um, that I was aware of would either be really bizarrely spiritualistic and idealistic. Like, all about these precious little souls and like as though you're just under a rose arbor with a happy infant (sighs) having this moment like as though that's what the work of mothering really was and then on the other hand super bitter complaining grumpy it's all snot and puke and dirty diapers and I remember just thinking there has to be a way that God that we're called to joy in the actual trials of this, you know, like that these have to live together. So like real joy and not just like real uh, joy, not pretendy idealized, but like this is real work with real joy, real obedience and not like um, it's I don't know. It's just it was an interesting challenge for me. So I felt like this was my statement of faith said one thing and that. I needed to harmonize how I was living with my statement of faith. Like I need, and that was just a daily challenge. That was what I was doing. So that's what I ended up writing about on the blog was sort of like how to apply. uh, Well, it wasn't that thought out in retrospect. That's what I think was happening. Um, And I wrote one blog post that was about helping our bigger girls control their emotions. So I think it's called a spirited writer. It was about how if there, we would tell our girls, your emotions are like a horse Um, that God gave you, but he told you to stay on the path. He told you where to go. Like he said, this is the path and this is the horse you were given to ride, but you have to control it. Like you have to learn to control this to be obedient. Um, So there was just a blog post about that, how we help them with their emotions. And um, then that blog post just ended up being very popular, I guess. Canon asked me to write a mothering book because of that blog okay. post. And I was still really not, I would say, not comfortable. I liked writing, but I liked poetry and I liked literature. What like what I liked about writing was not that I was anxious to write a mothering book. I yeah. just had happened to write a blog post about that. Um, so what ended up happening is I agreed to do it, but I was super not comfortable with my own voice as an author about mothering. I still felt like a young mother because I was. Like, okay. maybe I had five kids, but... They were all young. Yep. It was like five, five and under, I think, at that time. Um, and so I, it, was, it was not my most comfortable project, I would say. So then Canon asked me to write the book. I agreed. They gave me a two-week deadline, which is yeah. hilarious. I think it's because there was some kind of a I, – I can't remember now how that worked out, but it may have been like they wanted it to be out for Christmas or something. Okay. You know, like, well, yeah. if we whoops, if we really hustle, we'll get it out quickly. And I agreed to that because I couldn't, I, could, I knew I didn't have the time to write for a whole year. You know, I knew right. there was no way that was happening. But you could do a sprint. But uh, yeah, I was like, well, okay, you know, and I reworked some of the blog posts I'd already done. And then I tried to fill in with some extra chapters and I, we threw the whole thing together. And I turned it in with this idea that it's all right, Rachel. <laughs> First, like, you'll have a lot of time to edit it. Like, at least you'll get it back with a ton of markups. Right. And um, and this was all, I really believe God orchestrated this in an amazing way because it, it's so good in my life how this worked. But when I got the manuscript back, I had five little kids at home with just a regular day at home. And I literally had, like, that afternoon until lunchtime tomorrow to edit it. And the... And the comments were there were no what i would consider editorial comments so there was nothing like no there was nothing in it like this is a total renegade metaphor what are you talking about or (sighs) or this does not make sense or what are you saying and i think i was expecting a lot more engagement that way whoever i'm not sure who canon sent it to they sent it to an editor somewhere else who sent it back and but the editor's comment was i think the editor was a young mom (laughs) so the editor's comment was like 
this was really good, like what I needed to hear. It was, but the, so the editor's comment was not even like, yeah. what a hot mess you are. This, you should fix this. this so, these pros need work. Right. No, yeah. and they do need work. It's, it's hilariously honest because of how frantically I wrote it, like because yep. of how much it came out that way. Um, so then I turn it back in and I told myself, it's all right, no one will read it. <laughs> Don't worry, Rachel. At least no one will ever read it. Or like only 15 people who know you will see this and we'll just keep it. But honestly, what was so fruitful about that for me, and it has ended up being far more of a a theme of everything I have written and the work that I'm doing now. And and it's something I keep looking back on God's kindness then. Because I liked writing poetry, what I liked doing was really working over the words and I yep. and I would not have wanted people to see an unfinished thing because you would be really embarrassed by the wrong word choice or the thing that you would like to edit. So I and I wouldn't say I was a proud writer. I was just more interested in the writing than in the what you're trying to deliver to people, if that makes sense. Right. I was more interested in like how can I manipulate the words to do whatever. Right. And um, to be honest, I mean what you're describing isn't asking for a lot in that context, right? I mean, like how many revisions of you, or I mean, as far as constructive criticism and the editorial comments. Oh, and like you who? Yeah, and like well, you we did who. a lot more. There was quite a lot more editorial engagement in that. So right. there was way more, there was a lot more. But that's almost work. a baseline. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to no, get things what back. What happened with Loving the Little Years was bizarre. I think even for canon at the time, I don't think it was standard for, I, it was just a bizarre incident <sighs> that happened. Um, and I'm not, I, I, I really do think it's God's, it was God's design on that one. I think it was so fruitful for me um, that it happened that way. But it came back to me. So then when I'm comforting myself, at least only like 14 people will read this and it won't matter. Right. You know? um, but, I, but as funny as that sounds, I really had to deal with it before God that this is in a book that I'm totally ashamed of. Right? That I'm like. Yikes. You have got to be kidding right. me. And in case you, and the picture on the front is my daughter, Chloe, because it was like, if you're going to have a picture of chaos, at least let it be my chaos. Like, let me feel like it's honest, which was funny. But when it, um, when it went to print, I think what was so healthy for me was I wasn't proud of it. I was totally embarrassed to see it, to know that it was going to be out. I didn't want anyone to know I had written it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the worst thing. But it was so clearly something that God had asked of me. Like, go ahead and, you know, like it was so clearly because Canon asked me, my husband was like, yeah, do it. You know, it was, I was clear that I should do this. Um, and so what ended up happening for me was I had to come to terms before it even was released. I had to come to terms with God that this was, you know, if I'm ashamed of this and I'm embarrassed of the writing and I'm embarrassed of how it should have been edited um, and I don't like that chapter or I don't want this or whatever, that I had to offer it to God as like, you know what, if I look like an idiot but it helps one person it's actually worth it. Like it, it, it is worth it to destroy my own reputation as someone who can write a poem if right. it helps one woman. And, it, and I know that that sounds really, now that sounds stupid because people would be thinking, yeah, but Loving the Little Years is a big favorite and lots and lots of people love it. But of course you have to realize they had no idea how right. it would be used at that time. Right. And it was just embarrassing. That's like, just the manuscript you turned in. That it is like as I turned it in, and when I read it now, and I have to say that I wouldn't, I didn't open that book for years. Like I wouldn't look at it because the only thing I would see is everything that I would want to edit. You know, like everything that was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I guess if you compared it to like a hospitality moment, if you threw a dinner party that was radically hectic and you didn't get stuff done on time and you were throwing out side dishes and you're like calling someone to deliver white rice from the restaurant to fill in the gaps. You know, like if it was total chaos, you don't want to relive that every day. Like you right. don't you don't want to keep going back to like wander through it and think about it. Right. It's like, let's just let it go. So that was my feeling with Loving the Little Years. And, but I'm so thankful for it now because I think at that time, God really showed me what it is to want to just be used instead of wanting to wanting to control like it was like no i care about the message that christian women uh love god love their children want to pursue being christian women at home with their children but i didn't like my delivery of it and i think it was learning to appreciate what god is doing with your 
craziness, you know, with like right. your effort that was in no way what you wanted it to be. Like I, right. I did that, but I'm not proud. Um, and now, so that's looking back on Loving the Lawyers. I don't even know how many copy it's, copies it has sold, but it's a lot. No, it's a lot. It's, it's made it around a lot of times now. Um, as far as we can tell, it is at least 50K plus. Yeah, so it sold a lot of copies. So there goes my idea of only no 15 gonna... people. <laughs> only 15 people will see this book. Only It'll the be all right. Christchurch. And there are people who like me already, and they'll be gracious. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they'll be gracious. Uh, but the, in that, I would say I, it's a joke I have with some of my friends about other things we've been doing, which is that you have this idea that you want to do a really nice dinner. But somehow how it ends up feeling is like we call it frantic pancakes. You're like you're just frantically working a griddle with hair in your face and you're like, this is not what I envisioned. This right. was not my plan. And and but when you look at what God is doing with it and you see people really delighted about this and you think it's not me, it's what God did with this. And that knowing that is so healthy and thinking this is not about my this is not about my writing. This is about what God is doing. So yeah, so that's how it all started. With that's how it all started. Years. I, yeah, yeah. I got to say that three weeks with a three-week, you know, yeah, hard, I can't fathom mm. what that would have been like. I have to say, you have to remember, this is with my five children at home still yeah. because uh, I actually don't remember what time of year it was. So I probably had some going to kindergarten or preschool or something during the day. But I have um, – but the, the funny part about that to me is that when I open the book now – it, it actually, I get a physical sensation that is like a throwback to that. I'm like, oh, I remember what this felt like. I, but it's not the writing. It's the moment, the way my life was at right. that time when I was writing. And I think that that's what God used is that it was a very, it was a much more honest book than I think I would have even wanted to write, if that makes sense. Because I would have wanted to not impart so much of my own breathlessness Okay. In the manuscript. But when I pick it up, I definitely feel that like, oh, right. Like it sounds right. like I may have locked myself in the bathroom to pound out a right. chapter real fast. It's like what it sounds like. You're like, yeah. oh, that communicated a lot more. And I think that that's the thing that made it connect with women. It was it was the things that I would have edited out that God used. Right. And that's a really humbling and great thing to see. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It does seem uh, – I think you were mentioning earlier the kind of the two ditches – that seemed to be really prevalent mm-hmm. in when folks were writing on motherhood or at least even the family, the mm-hmm. family trademark, mm-hmm. um, is uh, it's either, you know, the rosy side or very, um, like, internet funny. It's like meme funny. Meme, Do you know like, what? no, like gross, like you're drinking tons of wine because you're a mom. Kind that, of thing, that kind right? of, yeah, where yeah. it's like, ha- like relatable content, you yeah. know. I despise my life. <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. LOL. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, there's a, yeah, there's yeah. always that Snark. at the end. It's like scary mommy stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Although scary mommy wasn't around then, but. Right. But was yeah. that, was that, has that come up with like the meme age or, you know, was that then, then too? I think that, that, I think that that divide is still there, but thankfully I think that there's a lot of, there's quite, I, uh, there's quite a lot of more Christian content that has tried to fill in the, fill in the more reasonable what are the obstacles you're facing to joy and how can you how can you honestly evaluate those and address it right. in the joy of the Lord instead of like um, not so much like fairy tale mothering land versus reality bummer. Right. You know, but let's harmonize. Yeah. <laughs> what are we called to? Um, so I think there's more content there. But when I wrote Loving the Little Years, there wasn't. As far as I know, there was right. nothing in that field. It was a desire to fill in that place that there that, that this is a reality for Christian women who are mothers. Yeah, it was man, a couple months ago, I think, and I was talking to Luke, and he mentioned the Desiring God article that you wrote. Right. I wrote went, a few of them around then, but the... There's one that just, like, went nuts. Uh, yeah, it still occasionally gets... I still see it passing. Like right. Just noticing it or whatever. Yeah. That, um, I think that is motherhood is a... Motherhood is calling. calling. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and him just mentioning, you know, there really wasn't at the time. No, I do know. I think at the time that that article at Desiring God made them aware of how desperate the need was right. for a practical Christian mothering. Which now, you know, you can that's you can a find it. that's a staple. There's a genre. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. There. That's good. Totally. So, okay. So you did a three three week runway for a book. 
which again, even just being on this side of, of Canon Press, imagining <laughs> that this is going to be a three-week runway sounds all... I mean, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. It was special. It was a special time. Um, so did uh, did the Mormon success happen before <laughs> Fit to Burst? Yeah, it did. But the, when you call it the Mormon, the Mormon success, yeah. it wasn't really... As far... I don't know. I assume the book just got handed around to Mormons. Right. I don't know. Made it, it into that circle. Um, but the... Was it Elder Neil Anderson... Uh, quoted <clears throat> extensively from that Desiring God article there, in so his okay. Mormon broadcast to the, you know, don't they do like a yearly broadcast so. to the everyone or something? State of the church. Um, and he was doing the one on the family. Okay. And he quoted extensively from my Desiring God article in that. So if you go, so he did say a woman not of our faith, which okay. I'm glad to know that he noticed that I was not of their faith. Um, and then he read this whole section. And then that little section was also used in some the background text for like a Mormon church commercial. Um, and it with a guy with a really funny voice reading part of it. I know this because people who had read it and knew me sent yeah. it to me. That's hilarious. Uh, so on Pinterest, if you look for... Um, I'm trying to think what you search for, but it's like if motherhood is a calling, I think. If you search for that, a ton of printables will come up with my quote attributed to Neil Anderson because of that broadcast. Um, But yes, that came out before Fit to Burst, so, or came out. I I knew of the Mormon runaway. And I also knew, as I told you, with Fit, with Loving the Little Years, I thought about 14 people would read it who were already theologically on the same page with us was kind of my assumption. We have, you know, small circle of people might read this. So fit to burst, I was far more aware of the need for clarity. Got it. Both because of the Mormon interest and because just it was going outside of our own immediate circles where people would know already what you believe. So with that one, did you make those adjustments? Do you feel like fit to burst was less... Breathless and and the rest? Well, my kids are a little bit older, and things were a little bit different, and the chapters are a little bit longer. It's like it's it's just a little bit of a different flavor. It is definitely less breathless. But I was also older. They were older, and I think I was more comfortable. Um, I was more—by the time I wrote Fit to Burst, I was more comfortable with the fact of talking about mothering. Okay. My own voice, probably. But I do, in Fit to Burst, there's a lot more clarity around, like, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. While I don't put in parentheses, not spirit babies all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I could have. What I meant was, like, let me be clear what I'm talking about and not right. and not just allude. I mean, I, in Loving the Little Years, I don't think it's, it's a horrible lack of clarity. It's just that... Um, it comes off as more generic when it goes into all these circles you never expected it to go into. Right. I didn't clarify everything. Well, right. you know, I was it, it was a short and breathless <laughs> book. <laughs> and it seems like the editor didn't think you needed to. The editor, the publisher, just really yeah, wasn't worried. It didn't so, seem yeah. like. Um, so with that one, a little bit longer runway. Yep. More time to write. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't remember as much about that one. About that one. No. Just I came mean, and went. I, that one was not as much of a shocker to okay. me personally. Yeah. But Loving the Little Years, all of the material work I think on me was done in Loving the Little Years in terms of coming to grips with the fact that writing is not about the author. It's about, it's about I think my brother says this and I love it, that he just says it's total arrogance to be nervous about public speaking when your message is the thing that you care about. It was like, it's like, you're just the UPS driver. You're just, you're just bringing, you're just bringing something that you care about to other people and to be totally wrapped up in how you look when you're delivering a package that you Mm -hmm. care about. Um, is just self-absorption. And I think, I think loving the lawyers for me was that spiritual lesson. It was the lesson that was like, being able to genuinely pray, Lord, let it help someone and let me look like a fool if that will help someone. Mm. Like, let this be this way. And, and I have to say that that is a theme that I it still comes up in my life of, you know, talking on the podcast or any kind of public engagement. Of course, you look like a fool sometimes. And being totally at peace with that, being like, whatever, <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like, or my great publicity shot. 
that went out to the to the <laughs> world. I'll never let it. I'll never let no, that one it's... be lived down. The publicity shot of only my middle section <laughs> saying, saying, Texas, Ohio, come, <laughs> come, come to the Great Hope School Convention and find Lizzie Jake. But it was a picture of only my fat roll in my middle with my hands. But I have to say that even that actually did honestly delight me because it feels like a straight message from the Lord of like, like, are you still in this for the right reasons? And it's like, yes, I am. It's okay. If that's what goes out to the world, sure, take it. Rachel, we have sent you a marketing team to make sure. Yeah, the Lord the provided Lord. <laughs> me with the people who would send out really unflattering partial pictures um, of me. And, and honestly, and I really mean that, that that was a lesson I learned many years ago and that now those are just pleasant reminders that God is in it. You know, that's just yep. like, okay, yeah, Lord, whatever. Do what you want to do. Yeah. And it's great. We're going to send you in with uh, hoodie strings yeah, all jacked up, and the people will be like, why do you look – but see, I love that because that was a thing. It was like, no, this is something I care to say. And then it's really yep. funny in retrospect. You're like, yeah, do I like watching my own videos? Absolutely not. Like, yep. do I want to see that? No, I don't. But do I care about that? No, because I shouldn't. You know, like if it is, if it is communicating something that matters and I care about what matters, then I'm not – that's not my thing. And I think so. even the hoodie string one, I think, was the <clears throat> Department of Hell No 101. Yeah. Like 11 minute video that was oh, yeah, like, it's long. oh man. That... And, it, and I, but I literally came screaming in from carpool from pickup, in yeah. what I was wearing, which happened to be a hoodie with hoodie strings imbalanced. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is like, isn't it like twisted or? I think so. They're like not the same length and one of the, and they look wrong. But whatever. I'm on the internet for 11 minutes in a weird outfit with bad hair. Actually, most of them are like that, but it doesn't matter. It's like, it's, and not that I'm trying to say it would matter if you're a more put together person than I am, but sure. it would matter if I was not doing things that I felt like I should do because I didn't like the way it looked or I didn't like the way it presented me. <laughs> the gift of the, yeah. The gift of the marketing team here. That yeah, is, I uh, like how I like how this is kind of insulting to Jake, who is yeah, the, you are uh, in marketing, and here I am like several people. Yeah, the marketing team just makes me look so bad. <laughs> but God but I'm okay uses with it. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is that that's what we want: is God to be using it, and when it uses when he uses something that is kind of funny or chaotic, it's like, thank you, Lord, for making the dumb things matter too. You know, like I'm I'm okay with that. I'm at peace. The other day, uh, we had your mom in for uh-huh. uh, the the Bible reading challenge video. Right. And we shot out here. Mm-hmm. And she was very grateful not to be in the dark dungeon. Oh, right. And, uh, but it, it made my day, though, because she said uh, that she had talked to you about it. And yeah. you offered to text me and we could take it down. And then she said, you know, I, and then I looked at Doug and I told Doug, you know, I was, you know, not the most excited about how I looked here. And he goes, oh, I watched that. I thought that was a great video. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. You know? Yeah, but, no, but see, that's the thing is that it is, it is uncomfortable because it, I think in our world today, the way social media and things are used is entirely towards presenting a fake exterior. Yep. And so it does take a certain kind of nerve, I think, to be willing to do that. And I'm thankful for my family, but also just I feel like God's very direct I know the path he wants me to be on. Like, I know it because of, like, I was so aware when Loving the Little Years was wildly successful that it was because God had, like, because of that willingness to be used no matter what, it was like the Lord really affirming that. Like, just saying, yes, and I'll use it. And so I couldn't, to me, it's like, this is a clear path. I'm, I'm, I... Not saying it's necessarily unfaithful for people to want to look put together. It's sure. not that. It would be for me though. Right. I'm like so. And on the other side too, though, it almost—it's not quite though careening into that other side of the ditch where it's just well, like. I hope not. You know, coming here with like you know. I didn't mean to have my hoodie strings no, all jacked right, up. Right. Yeah, it's not an intentional. It's not intentionally that. It way. is something that could have been fixed with with marketers with better eyes. If only. You know? If only. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that kind of brings me to you, who. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a couple conversations about just how you, not surprising as in like, um, this book is so terrible how is it making waves not mm-hmm. that but it's surprising in terms of uh 
the immediate reception of reception it, and and even uh, maybe uh, as far as the topic goes, it's not. Uh, I remember one conversation of that you told me nobody really knows where to put you because mm, no mm-hmm. it, nobody can identify you as like oh this she's very liberal on this topic. This is very, a this is a theory that I've developed after the fact. Yeah. Which is it makes me laugh because while we try to be strategic and we actively try to think about. How, what is the most strategic thing to be talking about or pursuing right now? Um, it's the same thing. It's like it's never what we thought was strategic that is. Right. But it's but it's clearly God doing something, and that's really exciting to me. That's a cool thing. But um, my impression after the fact is that we had a really hard time titling that book. It was remember? the worst. It was the it worst. It was a very hard book to title. And we went through a lot of manifestations of trying to – how do you talk about Christian identity – that does not come off like a diary, like introspective memoir. Yes, like well, because because I can't anything that says identity right. comes off that way. How do we talk about? It was really hard to title, um, and then in retrospect, I think it's because this is my theory now. I don't think there has been a faithful, loud, or successful Christian resistance to the world's teaching on identity. So there have been that in other places. So like if you think about the pro-life, pro-choice thing, the pro-life has been faithful, continuous, on it, with a presence, which is why they can be caricatured as so many other things, because the world has taken the time to come up with the quick answers. Um, Something I've seen with YooHoo is that people don't know what to call me. They don't know, like, it's like, um, what is it that people say about uh, climate change? Like Climate change, you're you're a denier. Denier. Or you're a uh, patriarchal, whatever. Like, they want to be able to give you a label and write you off. Like, and say, she's just this goodbye Um, and in this in with this book i don't think there's a word to call it and because of that with this book i've had way more people who disagree with me actually trying to engage with what i said instead of just bluff um you know right at the front like writing it off like well you're just one of those people right um you're just an anti-woman you know, whatever they whatever, want, they yeah. want to be able to do that, and they haven't been able to on this. Um, and I think because of that, there's been far more honest engagement with it, which is really interesting. And it's at a time when identity is such an idol, such a problem in our culture that people actually have a strong response to it. So, like some of those videos that we've done have gotten people angry. Right. But they don't know why. Like, they right. they struggle then to deal with it. Um, and then I've heard from a lot of people who, having having gotten angry, came around to have their mind changed. Right. And that's really interesting to me because that's not the way most of our public discourse is going right now. 100%. I know some of it is, but not all of it. You know, the anger is a thing, but not typically the staying with the argument long enough to realize that you we're wrong about something. Right. That's exciting. That was, I think uh, you sent me a message. Uh, we have that printed out. Mm-hmm. With, I mean, it doesn't have the name or anything, but there's a printed yeah. out. It's on, like in the warehouse yeah, of a particular message. Yeah, there have been quite message. a few of those. There's been a, and the thing that, I, the narrative that I have loved is the one that is like, and it's so funny because it's still not, it's not like the message is really affectionate towards me. It's not like someone who's suddenly like, you're my favorite you know, it's not right. fangirling. Right. It's someone saying, I was super annoyed by your Instagram videos. But for some reason, they keep watching them. For some reason, they keep coming back and thinking about it. Um, and then they say, you know, so I bought your book. Like, they were mad right. enough about it that they got the book. And then typically when they write me, they're like halfway through it, which is interesting, is that I get a message halfway through it saying, I, I've gotten a number of them saying, I've been saying I was depressed for however many mm-hmm. years, and then I've realized I'm not depressed, I'm in sin, because I have not accepted the life that God called me to. You know, like that right. I'm angry about something that I shouldn't be angry about. Um, and it's sort of like they write me to just be like, so that's that. It's not It's not like fangirling, right. Right. Or it's a, in, but that's a thing that really delights me to see that people are actually engaging with the discussion rather than just... Um, it's not all rah-rah on people who already agreed with me right. or all in yelling fact, from people who don't agree with me. It's actually a discussion, which is what caused 
the Department of Hell know in the first place. So real quick, uh, we won't just assume that everybody has read it. Um, right. What will you who the central? Yeah, the elevator pitch for you who. The elevator pitch. Um, I would say it's just. I would say probably fundamentally, it's that identity goes a lot deeper than we think, and that our the lies we have accepted culturally go much deeper than we think. So, um, I think it's like if our idea of who we are, why we matter, what we're doing here is like a. It's a building that has a deep basement. You know, like there's a big foundation down there. And many Christians just want to come in on like the third story to be like Christian identity means at this level saying you're identified in Christ and his righteousness. And that's that's the sum total of Christian identity. And I absolutely agree that we're identified um, that we are, if we're in Christ, it's his righteousness and that that's our fundamental identity. But the problem is many people want to ignore these horrible assumptions and roots and all the stuff that we have, this baggage that we have from the world. Um, and then that ends up keeping us from living a really thoroughgoing Christian life. Because if you still think that you're the creator of yourself, but then you just tag in the salvation moment all of a sudden, but you're still kind of honoring your own your own little G Godhead in your life, right. all back in this area. So basically what I think the the point of Yuhu is I, well, I mean, it's a pretty long book, so it's hard to say the point in one quick thing, but that, that God really did. I love Psalm 100, um, for it is he who made us that, you know, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. But it doesn't just say it is he who made us. It says, and not we ourselves. Like, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. And that those two things are those go together. It's like, you're not creating your identity. God created you and he created your identity and you don't do any of that. Like, that the Christian life is a life of responsive obedience to God and glorifying God. Um, and that, and I think that this, the heart of the matter is that we have to reject all these lies that we did believe Right. Because that's what's keeping so many women from kind of, I would say, harmonizing what they know about God and their own life together. Right. I think uh, one one of my favorite parts, at least, uh, so in your intro, you talk about um, you've always had, this is something you've always had as far as a... Uh, a sense of identity. Sense of identity. Yeah. Um, and until you go through the whole book and you, you're you're evaluating the assumptions that you kind of point out, like these right. are underlying assumptions, mm-hmm. um, you might not understand. But in terms of like being here in Moscow and understanding that like these – having a feeling of like these are my people. Mm-hmm. We are Christians. This mm-hmm. is what we do. Yeah. It's like I don't – I'm not sure that many – I had never uh, been confronted with it and. Till I moved here, I might be able to assent to that. Right. But to actually feel what it is to be like, this identity is thoroughgoing mm-hmm. and it, it comes out from like what we do on Saturday night or it comes out with like my family, my church yeah. people. It's, it's, it's a really tangible as, as, a, as, as maybe abstract as your book sounds. Right. It's no, got it's a, a very, very practical. It is practical overwhelmingly. And one of the things that uh, my dad has always taught is that your theology comes out your fingertips. And so there is an element that is if you believe a bunch of lies about like even if you just haven't looked at it straight dead on. Right. But you've been taught by Disney and existentialists and yep. cultural residue and the poster at the gym uh, who you are, why you matter, how to how to go forward in your life knowing who you are. Um, you've been taught that somewhere. You have an assumption from somewhere. Um, And if you haven't actually looked directly at it to say, is this biblical? Then what ends up happening is the theology that's coming out your fingertips is the, is the theology of I create who I am and I am in charge of my destiny. And I, um, you know, if I don't like something about my life, I'm the one who's called to change that or to do whatever. Um, And all of those things get some traction because there's always partial truths mixed up in it, right. you know, there's always that. Uh, but I guess I would say that, that it is true that I, that we have the gift of living in a place where there have been generations of believers <laughs> sincerely. Like, so it's much easier to understand when you have seen people yep. living all the way down, like believers around right. you. Um, it's much easier to understand, but everybody like, 
sometimes people resent that, that you have a different context. You know, sometimes it's like, well, I don't have a believing mom, you know, or I don't have this advantage. And that goes for the mothering things too. You know, like, yeah. well, I didn't have that kind of encouragement. Um, and this is the goal in Yoohoo is that if you're a believer, then this is an inheritance that belongs to you. Like right. this is this is God's people. This belongs to you. And so my whole goal in Yoohoo is not to accuse people who haven't understood it, but to call Christians to say, this is your inheritance. You know, like it's yep. sort of like, let's read the good news about what you inherited because you might not know. And I want you to know that. I yep. want you to know that, that um, you have this, that this belongs to you and that the sense of security and identity is yours. Yeah, I think the uh, that you pointing out that the keys are in their pocket as they've mm-hmm. been searching, you know, plundering their house. Yes. And it really is like a prime like a primal fundamental sense of security mm-hmm. that really I think can kind of be tossed out just like, well, sec-. it actually means a lot. And it's it like means actually a ton. Yeah. You know, maybe the driving force the engine of like mm-hmm. all other tr- uh uh pursuits that they're doing. So right. It's not like a it's not a inconsequential question in your life of how you believe your essential self is created or what it's doing or what it's for, because every decision you're making, um, you make from your most, your, what is the word, fundamentally held beliefs. And even if you don't recognize what they are, even if you haven't said, I think I'm self-created, um, you may have bought into that. And then you, and then that's what you refer to when you're like, well, what should I do now? You may not have the catechism written out, but you are but you learned it. You learned it. You learned it. It's like it's like a song you don't know who the artist is, but you can sing the whole thing. You know, like right, you, you right. know, you know. And I've when I've talked to high school kids, um, or probably women too, I don't know. But when I've talked about this, I've just said, just think about it. Just think about uh, if you went to a beauty store what, and you're looking at makeup and there's a sign up above that says, you are, what does it say? And everyone's like, beautiful. Yeah. It's like, yeah, who are they talking to? Who's telling, you know, what on, on the basis of what are you telling me this? How are you measuring this? And then, or you go to a, a athletic store and here's the little girl's sporting equipment. And what does it say up above it? You are, it's probably like fierce or strong or, you know, like right. all the time we're being catechized about what we are, but we're just not noticing. Right. So, um, real quick, the cru- so we kind of talked, the here's the crux of that success. Or we think, you know, this isn't, this doesn't seem like a, a path well-worn. Um, right. Questions that are being asked of them. Um, it has, uh, it hasn't, it hasn't not gone criticized. It hasn't, <laughs> no, it hasn't gone, gone uncriticized. Hasn't gone uncriticized. I have my critics is what Jake is saying. <laughs> I do. You have your I critics. I have them. Um, <laughs> some that like, you know, really go for it. Um but as far as as far as when you think about it and hear those criticisms, uh, do you have a theory about those? About the criticisms of the book, some, yes, I do actually, because probably the most consistent criticism is coming from Christians. Yeah, I don't have. Um, I have not actually gotten much criticism from um, people. Like I've gotten people saying, oh, my word, I've seen this different, like people who really hated my premise. The, the, <laughs> those people, I have not gotten criticism yep. from them. Where I get it is from a small group of Christians that are, um, I would say, I, I can't, I don't want to read into people's motives about why they differ with it. But the recurring theme is that they think I am teaching uh, salvation through works because I am talking about what it means to live as a Christian. There is practical application. So what ends up happening is they say um, they tend to believe that I don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification. Um, And I think that fundamentally, um, and so for those people, they would say I'm heretical that this is heretical, but it is profoundly, I would say it's a profoundly 
poor reading of what I said. So for these people, there is no calming them down. Like if you say, no, I actually 100% believe that we are saved by grace through faith, even that not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. I believe that, and I believe it all the way down. Um, And I will say there's a whole chapter in Yuhu that is about what actually happened in our salvation and how we contributed absolutely nothing to it. You know, like— um, except for the carcasses. <laughs> except for the dead, dead body. We yeah. contributed that. That yeah. was what we did. So there is a whole chapter. Like, I, I'm not unclear that I what I believe. And I have clarified after the fact for them. Like, I don't believe that. Yep. But they are committed to finding it. I know not why. They are just committed to finding it in partial sentences, things taken wildly out of context. Um, it's not—it has not been fruitful— to engage with it because in all the times I have engaged with it, they say, well, well, that's not when you say that, that's not heretical, but you're still heretic because you because it's sort of like we're reading motives or whatever. The only thing I can come up with is and, and this is what I believe is happening in this confusion um, is what I said earlier about trying to come in mid floor to say the only thing that matters in your identity is that you're identified in Christ. My point is that the only thing that matters in your identity is that you're identified in Christ, and that matters so much that it changes everything else, right? Yeah. Like, that matters so much that it can't not affect the way that you go about your daily life. Right. And and that's the point that I'm trying to make. Not that we build our salvation by behaving like Christians, but yeah. that being identified in Christ will change every last thing that you're doing. Right. Um, and so what happens, in from what I've seen, is women stress out that I'm saying— <clears throat> you need to live like a Christian. And they say, she's saying we're trying to save ourselves by living like a Christian. And I'm saying, no, I'm saying because you are saved, live like a Christian. And they're saying, if you talk about that, then you are fascinated with works righteousness. Right. But I think scripture is just abundantly clear that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we yep. are to obey. Like, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, there's no scripture does not give us that opt out. That's a special thing that's happening in, I would say, theology nerd groups is yeah. this idea that um, because they think it's all about our excellent theology of where we're saved and they're not transferring that to practical application that is like, well, we we believe this doctrine right. 100%, but if you believe it, it has to show up in other places in your life that you believe that. Right. So, so one, um, one word I know that they are not, they do not care for, that you use obedience. a lot. Obedience. Yes, do not. But I'm like, it, it makes me laugh because I think, you know, if saying Christians need to obey God is heresy, sign me up because Christians need to obey God. And that's so clearly taught in scripture. It's so, yeah. um, and I know, I know that I don't believe any heretical teaching about that we're saved by our works. I'm like, I don't feel in any way do I think we contribute to our own salvation. I just don't believe that. So I know it's not accidentally coming out. Right. It's I'm like I'm I'm sure that keep, I'm not subconsciously <laughs> saying that because yeah. I don't believe that and I don't believe it anywhere at all. So I guess I would say that the um, that the real heart of the matter. I'm not sure what's going on there or why 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 is this coming up, but it comes off as almost an allergy to obedience. Right. Like it's like we get hives if you say Christians ought to be living obediently. Christians ought to be living. Um, And I think there's some interesting theological questions in there because sometimes it comes off. Like one woman told me it does not matter to God whether I murder my neighbor or I feed thousands of people because I'm identified in Christ. So I am. Right. I am holy and loved no matter what I'm doing. And and it is interesting to me because. Of course, there's one way you could say that there's there's theological truth in that it does not matter to God. Rome, if Romans I, 8. If you say if I if I had done grievous sins and now I'm identified in Christ or and, and I have confessed sins, I'm yeah. identified in Christ, then that's all true. But it's not true that I've been saved. I'm identified in Christ. So therefore, no matter what I do, I am holy and I am um, because we're taught that we know things by by our fruit, you know, like the right. fruit and obedience and uh, is totally intertwined with faith. And, right. and that we can't, I think you have to discard so much of scripture 
to come up with that position that I'm not on board with it. Yeah, I your uh, your grandfather's um, mention is something I always think about is every moment you can be obedient, even in times of like even if a nap, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you either should be or shouldn't be. Yeah, <laughs> are you being obedient? Um, and that yeah, it does seem uh, to fly. It, it is funny. We were talking yesterday about what what um, the tenants of envy and these kind of things often are between people who are very similar. Yes. You yeah. mentioned earlier that atheists uh, That's have not, not my hate group. They have don't not mind hollered. me. No. <laughs> uh, and also, these are not like on the theological spectrum. The criticisms are not coming from uh, big evangelical. Um, uh, what am I thinking of? Charismatic Arminian groups. No, it's like the true. It's the keepers of the one true faith. The, t- the people who are like, there is one really narrow way to express what you believe, and right. after that. But but weirdly, it goes along with a. Um, it's it's people who should be. It doesn't make sense that they're not. Correct. I mean, these are people, if you were both given catechisms, I we think ag- you would largely agree, agree on almost all the things. We agree with the Westminster Confession. Yeah, yeah we, are, we are actually theologically almost on the same page, but there is some, I don't, I can't, I don't know what that's about, actually. I honestly am, I, I do not want to read into motives sure. or whatever, but I think it's fair to say that my impression is that it's an allergy to obedience. And I know I did not listen. There is a whole podcast about my heresies out there that I have not listened to. Yeah. But it, I did have some, a couple people that I knew who did listen to it, you know, who were yep. like, whoa. And their big takeaway has always been like, what are you shielding yourself from? Like, what is it that you're afraid to say you need to obey with right. because obedience is such a scary word, but there's no reason it should be scary to a Christian. Like right. if you love Jesus, you want to obey him. So why is talking about obedience such a tender subject? That's the question, I suppose. Yeah. And I will say, um, if you've been listening to this podcast or maybe you heard that other what have you podcast and you think maybe Canon Press's marketing really isn't up to par, Man. there are podcasts out there who acknowledge Ooh. Canon Press Marketing is, is going places. Is oh, oh, all right. And it is that very podcast. Uh, that, they're so. saying danger, danger, because Canon Marketing is just <laughs> killing it, killing it. Little did they know. Ruining yeah. everything for us <laughs> with this with this book. But I have to say that, honestly, it's, it, is an, it is a thing that you have to be willing to have. If you write something public, you yep. have to be willing to have people be publicly snarky tots about yep. it. And that's just how it is. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, at least uh, I don't imagine, uh, and I've heard your brother talk about this, that if you were getting no criticism, I don't think you'd, I don't think it would make you very happy. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy with no criticism. I guess I don't, I don't wait around hoping for criticism, but I don't objectively panic right. if there's criticism because, because you have to go back and say, okay, well, why did I write the book? I wrote right. the book because I wanted to confront something. And so you don't you can't expect it to go without resistance right. out there. Yeah. It will be resisted. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last thing and then I am gonna let you go because it's it's it gets warm in here and I I had hot tea in here, which doesn't also help. <laughs> what were you thinking? Um The Bible reading challenge. Mm-hmm. Which is already started as we mentioned. Yep. By the time this comes out, we're like nine days in or something. Seven days okay. in. Okay. Uh, tell me about that. The, are you? Are you? Uh, it's all about obedience. It's Jake. all. It's all about obedience. <laughs> um, the Bible reading challenge is the goal. I guess I would say, I have so many things to say about it. I try to hone in here on something. Um, that I think people who even value the word have been underestimating it wildly, and I think Christians who know they should be reading their Bibles just act to other Christians like they're all reading their Bibles. But genuinely, I don't think very much Bible reading has been happening faithfully and consistently among Christians. Um, And I would say part of the the motivation for the Bible reading challenge goes back to the 500-year celebration of the Reformation. And here we were talking all about how, how when the people get the word, how like all of civilization changes just because people have access to the word. Um, And it just struck me that, Maybe we just think we have 
people in the word. Like we have it everywhere, but maybe we aren't actually seeing the power of the word because we don't actually have that many Christians who are faithfully in it all the time. Right. Um, and so the Bible reading challenge is just a super practical, it's a plan where we, the goal is not to teach the word, it's to teach women to love the word and pursue the word and to come back to the word. It's co-ed, I, but the what I'm heavily involved in is the women's side of it, where we're doing the women's group. But men are doing it also. It's um, They're in there just in their own. We have a lively group. Yeah, just in there. Actually, you do this year. It's yeah. really happened right now. Yeah. Um, but men, I think, are less less inspired. I feel by... like we start strong every time. Yeah, we have new people this time. Yeah. New, but yeah, we'll see. The men are less inspired by each other's progress <laughs> on Facebook than the women are. It's just one of those things. The women's yeah. group. So right now, the women's group is like I don't know, gunning for thirteen thousand members right now. Um, and we say theologically diverse, literally on the same page. We are not, we're trying to encourage people just to be in the word and to be in the word at a brisker pace that disrupts more of our assumptions. Because okay. um, if you think people, if you think like, oh, I'll read a chapter a day and then say you read a chapter a day, like three times a week or something, it's going to be like three or four years before you've read your whole Bible. <laughs> Genesis right? is going to take a while. And Right. But if you read a chapter, one chapter Three times a week, you are a consistent Bible reader by right. many standards. That's a, you know, you are. But what if we were actually reading the whole Bible, coming back to it often enough that we remember what happened and right. that we can have conversations where we're actually connecting the dots across the whole narrative of Scripture instead of just, you know what I mean? Like I just yep. meditated on this little section that's out of context. Right. Um, so the summer plan, we're reading the whole New Testament. It's a really reasonable, it's ambitious, but reasonable. It's for, it's basically four chapters a day. Um, we'll get you through the whole New Testament in the summer. We're using the hashtag same page summer, um, tying in that literally on the same page. And the idea is to use social media in a way that encourages other believers to be in the word um, and that just essentially spreads the word of being in the word and, and making it more normal for Christians to just talk amongst themselves. Like we compare it to table fellowship that we're all eating this feast that God has prepared, but we can have these come, you know, it's literally companions is breaking bread with, you know, that we're literally at the same table, enjoying the food, discussing things that we don't understand, but we're not arguing about it. It's like right. we're, we're there to enjoy the meal and to let it change us, not to try to change each other or argue right. with one another. So it sounds, it would, it sounds difficult to uh, be mad at this. Are you, is this a Trojan horse for your heresies and for my heresies? Money laundering? Not, not unless you're willing to admit that my heresies are in the Bible, because the whole point of this is the Bible. We're not selling anything. We're not collecting emails. We're not. Um, the whole thing is free. We're providing the plans free for people to put their own churches stuff on the front, use yep. it as they can. Um, our goal is genuinely just getting people in the word. So, um, no, it's not a Trojan horse for anything other than the right. word of God. So I, <laughs> I know there's nothing, there's nothing here that should worry any believer that, um, that doesn't mean it won't worry any believer, sure. but there's nothing that ought to worry any believers about being yeah. in the word. Well, and yeah. it seems like a similar thing is happening. You were telling me before we started about that women's group right. and it doesn't seem to be theologically dominated by what you oh, no, personally it, it believe. Act- oh no, not at all. No, it's very diverse. And and that's a thing is that we actually, when I said we underestimate the word, that idea, one of the things that we say in our church is that we don't fence the table, the, the Lord's Supper, but we don't fence it because we believe it fences us. Do you, like, we actually don't think we are the ones that are called in to be the patrol, the safety patrol officers protecting the Lord's table. Right. Like, it, it is much stronger than we are. And that is the approach to the word of God, which is that why would God's word need me running around the edges, patrolling how people are interpreting it? What I, we just know that the spirit is in the word and that people being in the word will change people in accordance with what God wants. You know, he doesn't need our help in, in, patrolling at all in that way. Right. So our goal, like in the women's group, we have a wildly diverse group of women. Um, and our goal there is to just keep encouraging each other to the word, keep, in, you know, keep going back to it. We're not fighting about the right. differences. 
which I think is in this age of so much division and so much squabbling and bickering and the fussy stuff. Yeah. And, and I have a theory about this, which is that, um, Social media is pretty new. The Internet's pretty new. And the idea that so far Christians have mostly used it to hone in on their own highly specialized flavor. Like right. this this is the ministry that I identify with and I like how they interpret things. Or, um, And we've mostly used it. I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing, but we've sure. used it very divisively in terms of sorting ourselves into smaller and smaller camps. You know, like right. this is who I follow and like and do. And it's so that one of the things that I love about this is that it's just this call to our actual fundamental unity in Christ. Like if you love Jesus, we're brothers and sisters. We're at the same table. You know, this is what we're doing. So that's the goal. Totally. So jump in. Even if it's nine days late, we're trying to help people get um, over whatever weird things keep them from the Bible. So one of the themes throughout the whole year is to just join us on the day we're currently reading. If you miss breakfast, you don't have to skip lunch and dinner, or you don't have to go back at dinner time and eat your breakfast and then your lunch and then your dinner. And now <laughs> and, you can hang out with us, yes. but not till then. And the goal is that we'll all be reading so much Bible that you'll be back soon and you'll read that passage that you missed again soon. So join us. So uh, easiest way to find that? Uh, probably... Christkirk.com slash Bible Challenge. That has the links to all the different languages, the different Facebook groups, the apps that you can use to download it, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. And then at Lizzie Jank uh, for Instagram is your Instagram. That's what your Instagram Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) I guess I've never said that out loud like that. So, yes, I am Lizzie Jank on Instagram. And Twitter. Yep, and Facebook. And Facebook. And go by uh, Yoohoo's on Audible, Audio. Yep. And everything but fits and, a burst and is. And loving the little years, if you really want to go get a glimpse at my life <laughs> nine years ago. <laughs> that's there, too. Yeah. Read by Gentry. There. Yeah, yeah. Who, is, who plays a star role in uh, you Who? She's one of the people in You Who. Yep. There you go. All right. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye.